Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I'm Gene. I'm part of the team here at Restore. And for week number two of Titus Unfiltered, uh, my friend Tyler is here again. And uh, he said, when I asked him about this, he said, well, if you'll have me again. And I said, let me think about it. No, I didn't. I was super excited to have him for, uh, again, to have this conversation. If you didn't pick, pick up on last week's conversation, you'll want to do that. Go back and listen to it. But this morning, uh, we're going to dive into a couple more uh, themes that emerge out of this teaching, out of the book of Titus. And uh, thank you again for giving of yourself over these uh, last, what is now, uh, uh, five week, weeks? Week five. I said yes five. to three. But uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're going to say next, but I just want to remind people, if you haven't been here for any of the other ones before, even the earlier ones that I led, I just want to remind you, everything in this book and what Paul writes about is he starts with grace and peace to you. Everything that's in this text that he gives to us in these quick three chapters starts with a desiring for each one of us to experience the loving kindness and the peace, the shalom, the wholeness of God upon their lives. And so even if this is the first time that you're listening to this series, uh, just know that what we're saying up here, some of it may be difficult, but it's rooted in a desire to see human flourishing. Yeah, exactly. And let me just add to that, that, that this idea of Paul is writing to this ancient people, and like so many times when we open the scriptures, what we find is these ancient people were humans just like we are. And so these ancient peoples acted a fool just like we do sometimes. They, they were acclimating to the culture of their day. And, and Paul is writing these words to Titus because if you do a little historical research on what, was, what were the Cretan people like? Titus was on the island of Crete, and the Cretan people worshipped Zeus. And so uh, the Greek mythology that we now read and think historically about was very much in that day part of their, it was their worship. And so this may, this may, seem, this may seem rather obvious, given the culture that you and I live in now. So if you think about what has happened in the culture around us, what happens every single day, every hour, every minute of our day that has seeped into the DNA of you and I, those of us that follow the way of Jesus, what has seeped into our actions, our thoughts, our practices that we could look at and go, Oh, yeah, just like those Cretans. They worship the deity Zeus. And Paul is writing because he's saying, hey, guys, the watching world is watching you right now. And by the way, your behavior makes your faith null and void. 
Your faith is a joke to the people around you because you have allowed the ways of the culture to come in and override your faith. It sounds like 2022, doesn't it? It sounds like the world you and I live in right now. And so if you wonder, if you ever wonder why we have spent this much time in the book of Titus, if you ever wonder why we keep coming back to you week after week after week and point to the behaviors of those of us who follow the way of Jesus and say, look out, this is why. There's a watching world watching us. There are people all around us that are looking for something that will fulfill their lives. And when you and I say, yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever. If your lives don't line up with that, it's, it's of no use. So if we're going to say we follow the way of Jesus, let's be people that really do. And this is what Titus, what Paul is writing to Titus to say, all right, you got to go in there. You got to straighten those people up. I'm not trying to straighten you up this. Well, yeah, I am. If it applies, you know, wear it. So uh, with that, let's, uh, let's dive right in, shall we? So if we go to the book of Titus, chapter 3, here's the first uh, angle we want to take. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, reads like this. Remind the people, this is Paul writing to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. So just a reminder to those who are just now joining us, um, we have not talked ahead of time, which may create a little bit of back and forth, but there's a reason. We did not, we just wanted to surprise each other too. So um, just real quick on the mythology thing, just to note, I mean, that's not far from our own heritage. I'm not sure where we're going to go today because authority um, can be in the area of politics which is what I referred to in my message. It can be, uh, perhaps there are people here that are struggling with, well, how do I work with authority within the church? Because maybe that trust has been broken. Uh, how do we work with authority within the home or in our personal lives at work? Or even just my personal authority. We, even if we say we're not under an authority, ultimately we are. Like every one of us reports to the man somewhere, right? Um, just real quick, though, on the mythology thing. Did you know that in the capital of our country, in the, Congre- in, the, in the main capital building, in the rotunda, the painting is George Washington with people representing each of the colonies and then each, and then, uh, each of the major areas of commerce? And it's called the apotheosis of Washington. It means the deification or the lifting up of Washington. And he's seated on a rainbow... Now, if you know your Bible, who sits on a rainbow at the end of time in Revelation? Jesus. But the mural says George Washington sits, look it up sometime. You don't have to do it now because I want you to pay attention to what we're talking about. But he's, he's sitting on a rainbow surrounded instead of by the 24 elders that Jesus is surrounded by, but by the colonists and the commerce all around him. And it looks as if it's a scene straight from the pages of Revelation. Every nation, America's not alone, has its own mythology of how it's founded. And it is used to legitimize the authority that it is exercising on the people. 
So wherever you are at, just know that we have a collective deist, that means God-focused, not Jesus-focused, uh, mythology that supports the authorities that are in position in America. And one of the ways they did it is they, they painted this beautiful mural, but it's George Washington is Jesus. What do we do with that? Oof, but... Well, if we go, we can't go down that road very <laughs> no, far no, because but there are so many things we could point everywhere. to. Yeah. But politics, we can't stay away from it. Like it, it politics, mythology, and right. authority. Okay, yeah. so, so we're in politics. Yep. Bear with us. Lean in. Join us. All right, so if we're going to talk about politics, we can't not talk um, about recent history and even current day, right now, uh, what is happening and unfolding in front of us, it is, uh, in some respects, uh, in my lifetime, unprecedented. I have never experienced the church's engagement in, um, well, I'm going to name it as Christian nationalism. I've never seen the church, uh, I've never been aware of the church being so aligned with one candidate or another as I'm seeing right now. I've never seen the church sort of um, capitulate to, not to their faith so much as to the politics that align with their faith, all right? And they choose. We, the church, have been choosing who we will worship with based on the politics of that particular body. Friends, this is not as it should be. We follow Jesus first. He is who we worship, not our governing authorities. We are called to submit, not worship, our governing authorities. When, when, we, when we don't agree, though, with our governing authorities, if we have a, a different opinion of how they should go about governing, what should we do, Tyler? <laughs> well, we all can acknowledge that our culture is built on rugged individualism, right? I mean, I like to lean into that. I like to say, hey, I'm the master of my own domain, and after all, you are from Maine. Right. True. Yeah. <laughs> We won't go down that one either. But uh, so many places to go with this. Uh, here's the deal. At the end of the day, we really don't have a lot of control over those who are over us. We can vote. We can participate. And blessings to you who feel that they can go into the political realm and stay the course. And we need people to do that. Meanwhile, the other 90, 95% of us are left with how do we respond? And that's really what happens with husbands, wives, uh, slaves, which we'll talk about later. It all comes back to self-control and witness of who truly is Lord. And over and over again, we won't have, I'm not going back, to, if you want to go back to math, I mean, um, Romans 13, it talks about how we're called to just obey the authorities. They're not a threat to good. I'm sorry, but maybe sometimes they are. I said that a few weeks ago. But in the grand scheme of things, 
He says, pay your taxes, be the best citizen, be above reproach. Let it not be said of you that you are the reason why there is destruction and chaos and turmoil. Be angry, it says in scripture, but sin not. Be upset about injustice, but don't sin. Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus was in a situation where, yes, it was actually, it was a republic, which we are not a democracy, we're a republic, which another discussion. And Paul and Jesus were under people who did not go where they thought they should go, but Paul is saying, give honor, and Jesus says things like, when they tell you to take the cloak and the burdens, don't just go the mile, go the extra mile. He turned to Centurion, who was part of the occupying force that was killing his people, and honored him and healed his servant, his slave, which showed value to the slave. We'll talk about that later. He looked out from the cross, and we like to think that maybe when Jesus is on the cross, he's dying for your sin and your sin and your sin, but in the moment, He's dying for everyone's sin, and he looks out over the room, uh, sorry, over the hill, which is covered with Roman soldiers, Jewish leaders, and his own disciples, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That line has messed me up. He's not just saying it to us through the ages. He's saying it to the Roman occupiers who are killing him, He's saying it to his own people who are betraying him. And at the end of the day, that was his response, not burn it down. And that is where we often find ourselves at a loss as to how to respond to those things in our, in, in our culture especially in the political world, where we simply don't know. We feel out of control, mostly because we are. We don't have control over those things. But Paul and Jesus both call us to be people of prayer. They, they urge us to not use social media for negative purposes. They urge us to speak kindly to love unconditionally. And we, the people, those of us that follow the way of Jesus, it is imperative that we take this word to heart. You know, the other thing that just I'm reminded of is that the local church, there is an authority structure in the local church. And yeah, I'm the lead pastor of Restore, but guess what? I have a governing authority over me. I have a staff that is responsible to me, ultimately to you. I think that uh, sometimes we don't want authority, often. We don't want authority. We don't want, I said earlier, we don't want accountability either. Correct. Right? We don't want someone yep. to actually tell us like mm -hmm. it is. How many times have you had somebody say, 
hey, Pastor Gene, preach it like it is. And then when you touch that sore spot in their yeah. life, ooh, <laughs> man, watch out. <laughs> or sometimes people want you to preach it like it is, and I'm always kind of confused. Like, of course I'm going to preach it like it is. I'm going to speak the truth. As far as I know the truth, I'm going to speak it. And then there are some times where, oh, this is a tangent. I don't Why'd you go there? Hey, you invited me. <laughs> Never mind. We'll catch that another time. Can, can I just, I, I do want to make sure I say this in here, is that we are in a unique situation in our country where we are kind of in a situation where it's like democracy and and larger uh, realm of voices speaking in. I think we try to do that same thing within the church, uh, within business. Um, I, uh, something to just remember, because uh, I always want to bring back to Scripture, is that when the majority is looking for something, uh, we get things like the golden calf. Um, so we yeah. do have to take it with a grain of salt when we look at, but, but the majority thinks this is the direction we should go. Just remember that in Scripture that usually doesn't bode well. Yes. On the other end, and this was the point that I think we did talk about is, we might be moving into another topic, but I think here we need to note that we have people in our lives that we need to show respect to, and we're losing that in our culture, whether it's parents, whether it's the man on the line that maybe is no deserving, is not deserving of our respect if we go by the way they treat us. But again, I want to come back to the fact at the end of the day, are you being the best citizen you can possibly be, the best participant in whatever organization you're a part of, because at the end of the day, they are watching you and they want to know who's Lord of your life. Is that safe? To yes. Think? And let me just, uh, let me just uh, read this passage from First uh, Timothy 2. And uh, this is throughout the scripture, the New Testament scriptures. So, but this particular verse points us to pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And there it is, bottom line. Bend your knee to the Savior. Bend your knee to God. Pray for the kings and authorities over you. I also want to just say that we, I, I, I have a lot of conversations um, with people, leaders in um, the RV industry. And there's one thing that I'm, uh, that is on repeat with my conversations is that uh, the, the old guard of uh, any kind of leader that's been in leadership for a long time is finding it increasingly difficult to continue maligning or let me just say first, is finding it increasingly difficult to change the way that they lead people in today's culture because y'all aren't putting up with leaders anymore that malign you, that denigrate you, that talk down to you. They're having to make major shifts. And one of the things I'm helping with is helping them make that shift from devaluing people to valuing people. And so there are many good things that are happening in today's world. And I just want to call that out, that there are, some, there are some leaders among you that are working really hard, very diligently, to become better at what they do. 
And by that, I mean they're working hard to know how to value people and to lift them up instead of push them down. And I would say that's the same in every industry, right? And, and may I even say ministry, right? People aren't putting up with preachers who are abusive and et cetera. So we're seeing that across the board. So praise be to God. Yes, yes. All right, let me read you a verse from Titus verse two, uh, chapter one, verse one. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God. I'll pause there. Doulos, which in some translations is translated servant here. But interestingly, are you going to read the other verse, Gene? Because I think it's interesting to me that they choose to say servant sometimes and then slave and others. But. Sure. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Uh, verses 9 and 10, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. This is, I'm just going to name, remember, it's about thriving. We're dealing with the tension of Romans, right? History. We're dealing also with a recent tension, even in our own country, with immigration and racism. We will not be able to handle this fully the way we would want to. But I'm going to take it back to Scripture. It came to me again, this, it came to me this morning. It's, uh, I give it to the Spirit. The first time God is named in the Bible, do you know the first time when God is named by a human being in the Bible? It's by a woman. Her name is Hagar, the slave of Abraham, who was forced out of her home, pregnant, because his wife said, why don't we try this route? She's out in the desert, and the first time she names God, she says, first human being in all of Scripture to name God says, you are the God of my seeing. Throughout Scripture, there are references about slaves that we as modern people want to say, then shake off those bounds, be set free, but in the moment, in the culture, in the weight, that was not possible. But for Hagar to say to the Lord, you see me, that's earth-shattering. It wasn't Abraham. It was a slave woman in the desert at the end of her rope. That's the God that we follow. It might be important for us to um, kind of clarify that in, um, in, when we read about, oh boy, so flat reading of scripture would indicate that what we read in the Old Testament is also like that's as uh, uh, we give the same level of importance into the Old Testament as we do to the New Testament. And, um, and yet, as we talked about last week, uh, the curse 
is what uh, Genesis 3 was indicating when it came to uh, women and childbear, uh, childbearing women, um, the pain of that for uh, the women to desire their husbands. Like, this is all like Old Testament, and then we move into New Testament. And, you know, there's this progressive journey of the Israelite people trying to figure out who this God is that has been revealed, progressively revealed to them. And so much of what we read in the Old Testament, we're like, how could God ever endorse that? So let me just point us to, like in the Old Testament, uh, most of slavery, at least among the Israelite people, would have been indentured slavery. So if I owe Tyler um, and I can't pay my debt, then I might give him my child to pay off that debt. But that, that indentured slave would only slave for them, for, work for them for six years, and in the seventh year, they'd be released. So there's this, this kind of this way of working off the debt that was called slavery. Then in the New Testament, what we're talking about with the culture in Rome, like Paul is writing this at the same time that in the culture of Rome, I mean, I've heard everywhere from 10% to 90%. I think it's somewhere in the middle there, uh, who actually knows, but how many people were in slavery in Rome, in the, in the country of Italy. And so um, this was indentured slavery as well, that some people were born into slavery and others were in chattel slavery, which means they were taken... Um, against their will, and they were forced into slavery. And so this is now, so, so just to make sure that we don't think that this was just like, well, it's slavery, but it's probably just like somebody that has a job today. Like, let's not minimize what Paul was writing into in, um, in Titus, because this was, this was everything uh, across the board, like any sort of slavery, it seemed like that's what they were dealing with. And yet he still says he encourages and he commands uh, the people of, 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 uh, of Crete to, the followers of Jesus of Crete, in Crete, to speak kindly of your masters. Like, serve them. Don't lie to them. Don't steal from them. All these basic, we would think of them as uh, basic Christian values. And yet even today, like again, like those of us that are in the workplace, those of us that have masters over us, that have people in authority over us. Like are we diligently giving them the best of our time? Are we being honest about the work that we're doing? I often have said like, if you come to Restore, like I want your employer to be so excited about having you on their team that they say to you, where are you from and where can I get more of you? Just the opposite is true. Also, if you're a terrible employee, please don't tell them where you come from because <laughs> we are trying to not have that sort of a reputation. Um, one of the things, uh, going back a long time ago when I was in college, um, I had a minor in, in classical civilization and one of the things that we did is we read a lot of plays um, Greek and Roman plays, and one of the ways, you know how on a, on a sitcom, especially the really corny Disney ones my kids watch, someone walks into the room and everyone knows this is now, it's about to escalate, like really going to be funny, bumbling around or whatever, but in Greco-Roman plays, 
The play would shift when the slave came on the scene. The slave was always the smart aleck, always the one that maybe knew something no one else knew, uh, could often not be trusted. Um, and interestingly, uh, in Roman plays, a lot of times you knew the slave was on the stage because they would wear a, a red wig because the easiest way to know that you would be a slave from, from Europe would be that maybe you're one of the Irish people that were captured during their rule of Britain, so um, the, great, the Great Britain area. So, so there's even there a, an ethnic interesting marker that in that setting, in plays, there was a red-haired slave. But Paul, in his advice here, is speaking against the very traits that when a slave would show up in the sitcoms of Roman theater, he's saying don't behave the way that everyone thinks that you should behave. So just to reaffirm what you're saying. To make the connection to modern day pieces, I just wanted to share, I didn't grow up around many people that were uh, maybe of the line that would be experienced with slavery here in North America. But living in Maine, you referenced that. Um, my great-grandfather came here uh, less than 100 years ago uh, as an 11-year-old, left his family, and joined a lumber crew. And you would receive your food and your room and board, and they would just garnish your wages in such a way that it kept you in the system. So imagine being a family that sends their 11-year-old from Sweden to another country, never sees him again. And he lives out his early, until he's in his 20s, in the North Main woods, harvesting wood. My oldest boy is older than that. The generational brokenness in my family from experiencing that kind of slavery in the unhealthy ways they dealt with relationships alone is still there and it's something our family is working against. So we'll keep kind of going back and forth between like here's the cultural, here's the place of work, here's the things we might need to be aware of. You maybe needed to hear somewhere in here that maybe if you're not from an African-American background, you may still have some form of slavery, real slavery in your life that needs to be prayed against and delivered from. But we can't close this conversation without noting that we can also be a slave to sin. And Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. You either serve God or mammon or man or the things of this earth. And that's why the start of this book is so important. Paul, a slave to Jesus. And we haven't talked enough about that. But what does it mean for us to consider ourselves so sold out to Jesus that we jump at every one of his commands, that there is no other thing from which we receive our food, our clothing, our breath of life than from the master, Jesus Christ, who redeems all things, even the image of slavery. What? One day Jesus was with his disciples and uh, 
the mother of James and John came to him. And she wanted a special favor. She knelt down before Jesus. She honored him. And uh, she said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom, I'd like one of my boys to be on your left and the other one to be on your right. Well, you can imagine what happened when the rest of the disciples caught wind of their jockeying for position. And so Jesus had to kind of bring them together. Hey, guys, come over here. Like, I need to tell you something. And he looks at them and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus took on the humble position of a servant so that you and I could experience freedom from all things that enslave us. Do you remember the day that Jesus had dinner with his disciples in the upper room? And he bent down, took off his cloak, bent down, and began to do what only the lowliest slave of the house would do. And that was to wash the disciples' feet. See, you and I think of, of this. Um, you guys can stand with us. You and I think of this as, as, well, dude, we don't wash feet anymore. And you are right. We don't need to wash each other's feet anymore. That, that is a, a thing that was done in that culture. But here's the deal. What we're talking about is symbolic of the attitude of our hearts. And the attitude of our heart is that we serve each other. How do we do that? I heard someone, one of my friends one day said, you know, I think washing someone's feet is almost like a modern day washing the toilet bowls. So I guess I'll go wash the toilet bowls of the church today. This is what we need to be considering when we think about how then do we serve each other and how do we align ourselves with what God is calling us to do? To serve each other, to love each other, to look at each other with the same mercy that has been extended to us through Jesus. Tyler, do you have any, uh, anything else you want to say? If you want to do more reading on this topic, the next book is Philemon. Philemon. It's all about slave. And one of the touching things in there is Paul says, I'm sending you, my friend, a new friend who was a slave of yours. Once he was useless to you, but now he was useless. I mean, he is useful to both of us. He is a man of my own heart. I wanted to keep him, but now I'm sharing him with you that you may also be blessed. Again, restoration, renewal, a third way of looking at relationships. And I feel like that's what you're trying to do here even with the work at Restore. 
We want to see people's lives changed in such a way that when they look at you, they say, oh, I can't live without you in my life because you have something different and I want it. You are now useful not only to restore, but to them. So with that, uh, I'm gonna invite the prayer team up uh, to the front. And this morning, um, I know that we've had, a, we have a real sense about what is happening in people's lives, even now, even today. And if the Spirit of God has been moving in you this morning, if you have been uh, wondering how to take the next step in your life, we just want you to know that the prayer team would love to pray with you. And man, if you are a slave to anything in your life, maybe you're a slave to gossip, denigrating those around you. Maybe you're a slave to pornography, worshiping the image of humanity instead of worshiping Jesus. Last week we talked about alcohol and the consumption of alcohol. We, we, we were imploring you that salvation is not in the Bible, but salvation, salvation is not in the bottle, but salvation is in Jesus alone. Whatever our addictions, whatever our enslavement is, Jesus came to break the chains that keep us enslaved. So I invite you to come, find release, find freedom, find grace. That's what Jesus came to do. Father, I thank you in this moment for every heart, mind, soul in this space. And I pray, Father, that as we consider the words that you have given us this morning, as the experience of your spirit in this house this morning, God, I would pray that you would put courage into every heart, soul, and mind right now that every, every chain that needs to be broken would be broken completely. Let us not walk out of this place, Father, without the knowledge that we have the capacity to walk in freedom, to walk in the light and the grace of Almighty God. So God, would you just do what only you can do as we worship you and as we engage these next moments together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.